you're listening to the North Peace Roundtable Podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. What's up, fellas? We made it. Episode 95, I believe. Wow. Or yeah. maybe 96. No, I'm pretty sure it's 95 95. This week. Man, we are committed to this podcast. Only took about three years. Yeah. Only <laughs> took about three years. We should <laughs> be on episode 160 or whatever. That's right. <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> But thanks for tuning in. Uh, like I said, episode 95. My name's Andrew. With me, as always, is Corland. It is me. And Cameron. Good morning, everyone. And if my voice sounds different than their, their voices, my microphone broke this morning. So now I'm using a karaoke microphone. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be singing, though. <laughs> so um, we have an interesting topic for this morning. And uh, basically, I think what we want to discuss and unpack is uh, we we hear the, you know, the name Samaritans in the Bible. Probably most of us from the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're like, oh, yeah, OK. Or possibly the woman at the well. The woman at the well who's from Samaria. But I think the discussion this morning is going to be who are the Samaritans? Like, where did they come from? Uh, how? How are they different from the the Jewish people? Like, why is there all this hatred and animosity between the two of them? And then I think, too, to just kind of bring it to today, like what kind of, you know, principles or things can we learn from who the Samaritans were and how they were treated? Hmm. So it's kind of a not a uh, question that we want to answer, but it's more just like unpacking this this idea that maybe some people who read their Bibles just kind of, Oh, a good Samaritan. Yeah. That's just a type of person. It's just a title or something. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know who wants to dive in first, but, uh, or even to start with, um, before we started to research for this one, were you guys aware of Samaritans besides the, like, I know that there's one who's good, the good. Samaritan. <laughs> <laughs> or like, did you, were you aware of the history of, so I, I was aware before the pod, this episode specifically, I was aware at least of a little bit. I would say maybe more than your average Bible reader who just reads them as and knows that they are a people group. Sure. Um, because specifically I did preach on John chapter 4, the woman at the well. So then yeah. to, to have some of that history in there helped form, uh, I don't know, just what needed to be said in that sermon, right? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know everything about them by any means and i think some of the stuff that we'll probably talk about today is stuff that i haven't even considered about them so i'm actually right. quite excited to to talk about it so cameron you brought this up because you're in a <clears throat> class right now yeah and it's a uh, ancient near east um israel and so actually it was ezra and nehemiah where the, it was first brought up where i was reading about yeah. it mm. and that's actually where they're first mentioned, mentioned by yeah name i guess okay and before that i've never studied ezra or nehemiah so I had the very Sunday school version of the Samaritans also. Obviously from Samaria, I didn't really give um, any weight to where that was. I know it was north, um, northern Judah, I guess. No. Yeah. Um, and so then I just never thought about it. And then I'm reading about these, uh, the conflict and and the fact that when I had read through it again, I'm like, well, they, they, they were the same. Like they were together. And then in the north, they fell to... Assyria a couple hundred years or the Jews or, or the Samaritans fell to Assyria 
Well, they were Israelites. 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 Yeah. Yep. So the north fell to Assyria about 150 years before the Babylonian exile, which mm-hmm. is what we read about. We read about mm-hmm. exile to Babylon, but we don't we don't realize their counterparts were defeated yep. and some t- carried off to Assyria before that. And those that stayed, we read about intermarriage, we read about cultural acceptance, and so then. Yeah, what got me thinking was like, well, now the South is looking north and be like, look at them, how weak they are. They fell to their captors and they, uh-huh. you know, they defiled. The As thi- they're in exile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, I think, what people miss, too, is that we can read in the North that while they were conquered, some were exiled and many stayed. And you could see that in the South, too. Sometimes we think like, oh, they took all of the Israelites away. Yeah. No, they didn't. They took many of them away. They were yeah. still conquered in their place, but many left. And so... The challenge was from the south that they looked north and, the, and said those that stayed, they they're they're weak. They they gave up on the faith. They lost hope. And so then, it looks like that was the bud of or the this the beginning of where this conflict first started. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't because they're already divided. Yeah. So if we back up a bit, because some yeah. people who don't know, like, wait, why why is the kingdom divided? So like mm-hmm. King David right dies and Solomon takes over, and then you read after Solomon, there's like this rebellion and there's a split in the kingdom of Israel where 11 tribes are in the north and they're called Israel. And then Judah is the last tribe and they're in the south. And we won't get onto the details, but it was like family dynamics and one son wanted to do this and they rallied around him. And, but there's this massive split where now the, the, the Israelites are split into two separate kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. That's kind of what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And so then Assyria in 722 comes in and ransacks and wipes out just the northern kingdom, not all of Israel, uh, just those 11 tribes. And you're right, they take away some, but they leave behind a bunch of Israelites. But Assyria would often do this is then that then they put their own citizens mixed in mm-hmm. uh, with the people they've conquered. And then Israelites started marrying foreign women kind of mm-hmm. like what you did cameron uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> just kidding <laughs> yeah but then uh and that you know in the law was kind of like no 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 you can't right. marry non-israelites and yet they did so then judah is ransacked in 586 so yeah 150 years later by babylon but uh the israelites who stayed and then intermarried with other people they were called Samaritans and like mm-hmm. we're not going to use this term lots, but they were kind of seen as, you know, it's a derogatory term, but like half breeds. You're mm-hmm. only half Israelites. These children that came, yeah, right. Your mom is an Assyrian, yeah. and your dad's an Israelite. Like you're mm-hmm. not even fully Jewish, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the hatred started coming from. Of like, you guys didn't stay true to the law, right? Mm-hmm. You intermarried and <clears throat> blah 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 blah. Yeah. And so, so there's fascinating parallels <clears throat> throughout history and. One that I was in a discussion about the other night um, was uh, Hitler's Germans because mm. their whole, the impetus was purity. We are going to have a pure race and they targeted the Jews, which is actually really fascinating and I don't understand the, the, the relation yet, but we read about this mindset from the early Jews of there will be none, there will be, n- there will be pure, there will be no inter mitten mm. blood and we will have a pure race which is um so you know the person that brought it up just said like hey that's kind of interesting because we were looking at ties throughout history in different cultures where this type of um 
position would be would be common and then would be believed as part of their religion or their their worldview and so i found that quite fascinating how that's mm. exactly what happened to them and the world would cry the world today would cry massive foul but then we look at the way the jews responded and looked around all their neighbors throughout history mm. and it was the same but yeah and to be fair i mean god did tell them sure but it wasn't because oh those different ethnicities are less than you right. it was their religions are gonna like mess you up right so because I, I know some people would say well wasn't it god who said that israel shouldn't marry with other people and it's true he did but he never said hey you shouldn't marry the assyrians because they're a dirty ethnicity mm -hmm. it was they're gonna lead you into idol worship don't mm -hmm. do that right yeah it was yeah so just to clarify because i don't want people no. to you know um but it's interesting because then uh even S samaritans had a view of israelites Yep. That was twisted too, like yep. because they said we stayed. You guys were exiled. We were the ones who stayed in the land. Mm -hmm. And you see that a little bit when, it, like in Nehemiah and Ezra, when they come back and they rebuild the temple, the Samaritans opposed it because they're like, and this comes up in the woman at the well. Yep. We worship at Mount Gerizim. Yeah, like that's the real mm -hmm. site to worship because they're like we stayed. Yeah, you guys all got exiled, but we kept worshiping uh, at our mountain, and this is where we should worship God. So it, you can see like these dynamics of, I think for sure the Samaritans were treated way worse, <laughs> but you, you see hatred build the other way where it was kind of like, no, we're the ones who stayed. You were guys that were exiled. Like we kept worshiping. Mm -hmm. And then you even see that carry over into Jesus day. So this, so think about that, like 722, uh, Northern Kings wiped out Samaritans. That's when they're kind of first born, if you want to phrase it that way. So 700 years later, when yeah. Jesus is there, they still hate Samaritans. Yeah. Like, that's a long time to... to I'm sure there were people who were like, I know we hate Samaritans. I don't really know why. But they were just... You're raised in You're it, just so raised you for 700 years, however many generations that is. Like, of... Like, so... They would even not even go through Samaria, like because it was just kind of like, Bleh, you'll be unclean if you go through there. They mm. would travel the long way around Samaria to get to Jerusalem, yeah, because it was like, don't even go through that area because they're just so, Bleh, right? Yeah. Um. So even in Jesus' day, you see that same kind of like hatred and animosity towards each other. I guess. So that's why then. As an example, when Jesus tells the story with the good Samaritan in it, it would have been something that was like, wait, no, like <laughs> there's no good in them. Th yeah. Like yeah. that would never happen. Right. Because yeah. when we read it in our context, we're like, oh, the good Samaritan, that's really cool. Right. And yeah. so but w to the people that Jesus is presenting this story to, it would have been something that culturally would have shocked them because it just in their mindset would have never happened. There's nothing good that can come from them. Yeah. So in Luke 10, that's where uh, a guy comes, a lawyer. And he's at, he's um, what does scripture mean by a lawyer? Because that it's, talks about that happening often in scripture as a lawyer comes to him to do this. What does it mean when it says that? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Was just, <laughs> just a genuine curiosity. Yeah. Uh, someone who is deals with the law. It could be the Jewish law. could be Roman law. I have no idea. I'm guessing that it was a Jewish, dealing with Jewish law. 
because he's asking, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? And, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And, um, and then the, it says the lawyer in verse 29, desiring to justify himself, said, well, who's my neighbor? Right? Like, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story. A guy gets beaten on, you know, on a journey, and he's left to die half dead on the side of the road, and a priest goes and then goes to the other side of the road and then a levite uh so priest and levite they would have been like those are good guys right yeah those and then the levite avoids the dead half dead guy but a samaritan comes and shows mercy and binds up his wounds and pours oil on him takes him to an inn and pays for the guy to stay there until he gets better and then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer's forced to go, the guy who showed him mercy. But you, I, I guarantee you he probably choked on that because mm -hmm. he's like, that dang Samaritan. You're right. He's the one that. Argh. Yeah. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. So, right. Jesus saying, who's your neighbor? Even the Samaritans. Yeah. Which all of the Israelites would have been like, surely not. Yeah. Right, so you think about, um, maybe I'm actually jumping ahead. I was going to say, if you think about in our day and age, who would be people that we would go, surely not them, but maybe we'll come, I, we'll yeah, come back to we'll that. We'll come back to that. Because mm -hmm. that's a little bit of a teaser. For kind a of the, the application point. I don't know, other thoughts that you guys have about Jesus Day or the Samaritans? I, I personally love Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well as... You know, there's there's a couple of cultural things happening there. For one, Jesus is talking to a woman, which like a man interact interacting with a woman just didn't happen in the way that Jesus is here, at least not very often. And then also the fact that she's from Samaria. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because she starts asking him all these questions about like, you know, we don't worship where the Jews do, like kind of discussing the, the arguments that the Jewish people would have had with the Samaritans and stuff. And yet Jesus, I, I don't know the, the, what I see through Jesus's interaction here is still a deep love and care for her yeah. and for those people, which is like, Cameron, I think you said mm. it already. It's fascinating to think that, you know, they are still people that were of Jewish descendant. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know the fact that he doesn't treat her, Jesus, a Jew, does not treat her a Samaritan with contempt at all. Right. And he continues to see her and, and meet, meet her where he, she's at maybe is weak terminology for it. But like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cause it was literally where she was at. Yeah. <laughs> he just met me where I was at. But oh, like spiritually, no, literally where I was. Standing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like that's what I was, you know, reflecting on where, yeah, the Jews are given this command and they totally missed the mark. Like they totally missed the nature of why they're to to be like so. that. Yeah. And then it just compounds and then they become pious and then they become so guarded for all of the wrong reasons. So they're not considering about the value of that human being and the fact that they should love them, uh, yet not adopt their form of worship. Mm -hmm. But they just miss it and like, oh, now we have a license not to even uh, interact mm -hmm. with them at all and actually go the opposite way to, to hate them. Yeah. Which is fascinating how it conflicts with so many other commands that they're given. Well, yeah, like so you the look at what God tells Israel. I've chosen you to be a light among the nations. He didn't say, like, I chose you to be my pure race. 
Mm-hmm. And yet, if you read the Old Testament, they became very prideful that it was were God's chosen nation. Even think of Jonah. The reason that Jonah yeah. doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because uh, then God's going to show mercy to our enemies. Like we're Israelites, right? We mm-hmm. are God's chosen people. And Jonah even goes, I knew that you were going to show them mercy, God. Like that's why I didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. So I, I think interesting right. point, though, that he knew that he would still show mercy oh, yeah. to the other people. Totally. And he's like, that's why I didn't want to come because I knew what kind of God you are. But I think <laughs> we sometimes um, we misunderstand like the God's chosen people. Because uh, you see God's heart for the nations throughout the entire Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's, he wants Israel. You guys are meant to be a light to all the nations, to show the nations what Yahweh is like. And yet it was kind of like, it became this prideful, we're God's chosen people and you guys are just all evil pagans. And it's like, But it's crept up into Christianity today where we kind of read the Bible and we don't think about the communities around Israel as like, we don't hold them in the same regard. Often, um, mm-hmm. Bible readers today would look back, and you know, there's a whole wave of movement of uh, you know, get the Jews back to Israel, and it's just it's been this focus totally. of modern day Christianity. But why doesn't our heart break for the Assyrians or the Babylonians or yeah. <laughs> or others that we see interacting out with this light? Yeah. Um, yeah. Keep talking because I'm looking up a passage that. Uh, that you want to read? Yeah, that, but I just can't remember where it was. <laughs> okay. So, like, Corlin, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I hear what you're saying, Cameron. I, I think, you know... That's good, because I'm sitting right next to you. Yeah. I don't... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I won't make that joke. We, uh... I think we do, as Christians, often get really, really focused on the church. We talk lots about the church and how we're supposed to spread the gospel out to the world. And then all we ever do is come to church on Sundays or read your Bible in a closet at home so that, you know, you're in your private devotions and it never is reflected outward. Or if it is, it's only ever, um, I, I don't know how to say it other than like in minute actions where like, I don't know, you don't yell at someone, but like, even then, I mean, look at all the jokes online about Christians coming into restaurants on Sundays Mm -hmm. and they're the worst customers, right? Like we, we act so similar to the nation of Israel when it comes to the people around us in general. Right. So I, yeah, we definitely are the same as the Jews and that we don't do this well we are not the light of the world well we are not good ambassadors for yahweh speak for yourself yeah so the passage i was thinking of (laughs) because talking about the old testament and yes god chose israel right as you're my people and he tells them not because you're great or anything just because i want to show the world but i remember it was in the book of amos in amos chapter 9 where he says like our He's talking to Israel. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor mm-hmm. and the Syrians from Kerr? And if you actually read historically, those were exiles that the Philistines went through and the Syrians went through. And mm-hmm. I remember reading that and going, oh, man, God is still at work in all these other nations. Even though Israel's is his chosen people, I had always viewed it as like, God chose Israel and could care less about anybody else. Sure. And yet he says, I actually brought the Philistines from Kaftor. The, the Philistines were in captivity and I actually brought them out. Right. And I'm going, oh man, God actually cares 
about people, like, yeah. right? So, yeah. Anyways, that was just a thought, and then and the other nations uh, wouldn't have worshipped Yahweh no, as no, the no, one no. true God, but yet God is still showing them mercy and bringing them out of this. Yeah, sorry, I shouldn't. Yeah, God wasn't saying like, oh, the Philistines are also my chosen people, like you, but Israel. His, but he is working. But his hand is working in all yeah. these. And they, yeah, they might have said like, oh, Baal brought us out of captivity. And God was like, no, it was me. I'm the one who did that for and you. Baal was sitting on the toilet still. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's probably a different podcast, but I love thinking about the fact that to say God or to say someone in one of those communities wasn't aware of God's presence would conflict with who God is. So we don't see communal worship. We don't see any kind of organized worship towards or Yahweh. Or recognition that it is Yahweh. But we don't see those texts. We don't read that We don't read that history. So we, do, we have no base point for hmm. someone in Philistia thinking like the, the, the idol to the unknown God that we see later in the Bible. Like to, to say that at one point God reveals himself to the world. I don't know where is that point, but... Hmm. Different podcast. Different podcast. Different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I also love in John four when the woman of from Samaria. I mean, she actually says, you know, uh, in verse twenty, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's bringing up the conflict. Mm. Like we say, we worship here. You guys say you're supposed to worship there. And I love that Jesus says, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father." So he actually says, like, actually, it's a moot point. Because there's coming a time when you don't have to worship on either mountain. Yeah. Mm. And then you see like the woman goes back to her town yeah. in Samaria. And it says that then all the town comes out to hear Jesus. And then in verse 39, it says many Samaritans from that town believed in him yeah. because of the woman's testimony. And so when the Samaritans so came to him, they asked him uh, to stay. And he stayed there for two more days. So Jesus stayed in Samaria. for two. That's more a common days. thing that Jesus does is he, something happens and stays two more days. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an I'll interesting two days tops. <laughs> <laughs> kind then, of an interesting And then thing. it says that many more believed. So there's Samaritans believing in Jesus, which I find fascinating because the picture that we're given is all of the Jews are kind of like, yeah, we don't believe in you. And then you have these like lesser than, half breeds right in the israelites mind and they're like jesus is messiah we believe in you yeah i find that so ironic mm -hmm. and so great yeah. right that they're just coming to jesus we believe in you jesus yeah and then you get to the end in acts 1 8 before jesus ascends into heaven and he tells his disciples you're going to be my witnesses you're going to go to hmm. jerusalem judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth so he doesn't just say like oh yeah salvation is just for you jewish people He's like, it's going to start there, but then it's going to spread out and yeah. you're going to go to include Samaria. And then you see that happening in Acts 8. The, the church is staying in Jerusalem. And so God sends persecution and then they're scattered all throughout. And then in, in Acts 8, 4, it says those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And where did they go? Judea, Samaria, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing. And then right. you just see. Samaritans are believing yeah. and the Holy Spirit's given to them. And then the, this, everyone's going, oh, it's salvation's for the Samaritans too, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then Gentiles believe, which is a step worse in the Jewish mind mm -hmm. than Samaritans. And they're given the Holy Spirit and they go, I guess Gentiles believe too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that the amazing thing is the point is like salvation is available to anyone, mm -hmm. not just Jews. doesn't matter if you're a Samaritan doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. The whole point is like Jesus came to die for all people. Like, yeah. And what's blowing in their mind at the same time is then 
if those Samaritans find that salvation and they feel that new hope, their um, display of worship will, will is completely different because it's every community or every group that would have heard this good news through these missionary journeys. Paul would have given this structure, but it's probably still blowing their minds that it all looks so different. Totally. Um, and I think that is a really important thing to remember today like you're saying in our in our own church that we don't we don't allow ourselves to have that kind of mindset of like this god is for us and those who conform and fit into our mold totally um because <laughs> that's we that's not what we see in scripture and it's tough for people even still today uh, another reflection we had was just on those who come to church uh you know through a life of maybe addiction or, or challenges mm-hmm. with mental health and they don't fit a mold very easily to which we would think that one who is saved would fall into. Totally. And the way they express themselves and the way they worship is different, but we, we're, we have to, we have to adjust our thinking and our, and our, totally. in the way we interact with those folks. Yeah. I think like, can you imagine how, uh, I'm going to say how tough it would be, but may, like you're a Jewish person who was raised to hate the Samaritans mm-hmm. and, and then it's like, and raised to hate the Gentiles cause they're not God's chosen people. They're unclean, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, God blows the door wide open. Salvation's for everyone. And now you're going to plant churches with people that historically you hate. Mm-hmm. Like how, how hard would that, that's why you see even Peter Jewish people come around. He's like, Oh yeah, I can't eat with Gentiles. And then Paul's like, what are you doing, it's, Peter? Yeah. But you can see that it's ingrained because it's ingrained mm-hmm. in him. Like, yeah. right. We're not supposed to eat with Gentiles. And then, you know, even Peter has the vision of the tarp coming down of all the animals that were unclean. And God's like, yeah, go ahead and eat those. And he's like, yeah. I can't. Yeah. I, that's it. And then twice. Right. And then finally, it's this picture of like, right. What God declares clean is not unclean, Peter. Like, but you can see the wrestle. They have a they have a council in Acts 16. Gentiles are coming to faith and they have to meet as a church to go, is this allowed? Which I find hilarious <laughs> because it's like, it's we're, happening. We're going to approve what God is doing. Right. And they go like, it's okay. The Gentiles yeah. are believing in Jesus. They're receiving the spirit. Who are we to like, right. Yeah. But you can, you can see mm. the struggle that the early church had going. Is this really what this is, man? This is blowing my mind. Like yeah. people that we would not associate with. And so, Cam, I'm glad you brought that up, like, in our day and age. I think for most of us, and maybe there's some who's who have some prejudice in their heart or whatever, but most of us, I would say it's not an, an, an ethnic thing anymore. Like, I, who cares if, mm-hmm. if uh, you know, someone that doesn't look like you. Like, I mean, like, oh, you're from Iran. Oh, you're from Africa. Most of us would be like, awesome, that's great. I really don't care. But in our day and age, it is the, like... Oh man, that person looks a little rough, right? Mm-hmm. And they're here. I'll give you a, an example. Like uh, many of you know, I'm pretty sure he won't listen. But Gord the prophet. I mm-hmm. mean, he's a guy with mental health issues, and he's been at our church on some Sundays. And I know that the the gut reaction is be like, kick him out of here. Mm-hmm. When it's like, well, he needs to hear the gospel too. Who knows? Maybe God will heal him, heal him, and save him. Wouldn't yeah. we want that? Mm-hmm. But I, I myself, when I've seen him here, I'm like, oh, he's just going to cause problems. Like, Mm -hmm. I just wish he would leave. And so it's maybe it's a little bit different, but it's a similar kind of thinking. Like, 
Yeah. Well, is the gospel for him too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. I think uh, even in our community and even in our church, you know, if someone were to walk in having spent most of their life in another culture, I think of my Sikh friends who wear mm-hmm. emblems to reflect their their faith. Totally. You know, we would see someone in our church with a silver bracelet and think, oh, like, I don't, I don't think they're a Jesus follower. But maybe they're searching it. They, they still have this you know, like the amount of people that wear a cross on their neck as jewelry in our church. Um, we see another culture doing that in, you know, remembrance of their God. And we think like, oh, that's demonic. Yeah. <laughs> like why would, but you got a cross around your neck to, as a reminder. Well, I'll give you a really practical exa- example that happened uh, maybe a year ago, but someone in our church actually messaged me and was like, hey, just so you know, we've invited someone to come, but they have a tattoo on their neck that says F you like mm. the F word uh, because they come from a really hard life. Sure. And they said, just want to give you a heads up because we want you to meet them because it'd be great. But, and so there, yeah. And I met this person who came in and yeah, there it is on her neck, like F off or F you or one of those mm-hmm. things. And it would be really easy to, for some Christians to be offended and be like, can you please cover that up? Like, or why is that person here? They're clearly like, but I was like, I am so glad that this individual is in our church. That's amazing that sure. you came. And you stayed the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, would we say to her, please cover up that? No, of course not. Now, it's yeah. different if then, like, she became a believer and it's like, well, let's talk about what's on your body. But it's a little too late. Like, to, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, or we've had, um, we've had gay people come to our church to check it out. And that can be uncomfortable. We've had mm-hmm. transgender people come to our church and check it out. And that can be uncomfortable. But it's like, is the gospel... I feel like Jesus, like, who's your neighbor? Mm-hmm. Who is your neighbor, guys? And is the gospel not for them? Like, I think, I think too, we often then as a church, like you said, we... If people came and they looked different than us or they had had life experiences that brought them to make certain choices... And then those choices are ones that we maybe wouldn't have made or wouldn't make now in our lives. We then want to modify their behavior to conform to this totally. image that we think fits Christianity. And um, my my mom actually shared a really co- a cool example. Uh, her mother used to lead a Bible study, and back in I don't know what year it was, but like the eighteen fifties. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just back kidding. in that time, uh, everyone smoked. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that like in our day and age, if you hosted a Bible study, a women's Bible study and everyone was sitting there smoking, <laughs> would be like, what? Like, are you kidding me? We would just be vaping today. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because one of the women that went there kind of had this question of like, well, like, do I have to stop smoking to be a Christian? And my mother's mom said, you know, maybe that's not actually the first thing God wants to deal with in your heart. Totally. And so it actually ended up not being the first thing. But what's really cool is that as she came to know Christ and as she became, as she was formed more and more into the image of Jesus, smoking was one of the things that she said, yeah, after I started recognizing these things in my life, I didn't need that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she actually did end up stopping. But it, but it was it really like to order in order to belong. Stop you, smoking you need to clean up, clean your, up life. your life yeah. and then look like Jesus. Only the external sin. That's obvious. We don't, you know, we'll deal with the internal ones later. Yeah. But that's what people struggle with. And I'm reminded of um, Mark where Jesus said, like, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating metaphor. It's like, 
if your church is a hospital and you're sitting there healthy and whole, then you should be helping. Yeah. You're yeah. not sitting there actually receiving services because if you use that metaphor, yeah, you're sitting in a Sunday morning and life is great. You're in a season of, of, you know, you're in a season of wholeness with your relationship. You shouldn't be hooked up to all the emergency equipment. Well, even Full like time. I, Erwin yeah. McManus, I don't agree with a lot of his stuff, but I remember he gave like an analogy. He said, you want to know like two signs that your church is healthy. He said, um, sin and false teaching. Hmm. And I went, wait a second. And he said, do you want to know why that's health? Because lost people are being saved and they're bringing all their junk and garbage into the church. Hmm. He's, he's saying, I'm not saying that you leave it unchecked. Mm-hmm. But I think we view like a healthy church is where everyone looks the same and there's no problems. And he was like, you read first Corinthians, first Corinthians. We look at that and I, I just, I'm prepping for first Corinthians cause we're going into that in the hmm. new year. But one pastor was like, most people look at first Corinthians and say that is an unhealthy church. And he says, I disagree. It's a messy church, but he's like, if you actually read the history of how Paul planted the church, the, the Corinthian church, when he writes to them, is maybe five years old. Hmm. And he said, this is a church that brand new believers are bringing all of their junk into. Wait, I'm, I can't just sue whoever I want. No, right. don't do that. And then like, all these yep. things. So I just, it shifted my mind a little bit going, right. Like obviously we don't want s- people sinning mm-hmm. and we don't want false teaching. But he said, well, if lost people are being saved, they're going to bring stuff into the church and then we we're a hospital, mm-hmm. right? We do the, the hard work of like, yeah. And so that's why I think that we have to break out of that mindset of that. Yeah. We need our friends to be whole like yeah. to the point before we bring them to church. And so, you know, our job is to expose them to the gospel and then triage, you know, if they're struggling with something immediately, let's yeah. talk about that, but not from a position of, um, you know, condemnation in any way. It's more so, you know, I can see you're not, you're asking for help. Can I, can I help you? Yeah. And I think it's, I want to be clear. It's not as if then we just like, we don't ever deal with sin or anything. No. No. So like if a homosexual comes to church, awesome. As soon as you become a believer, then we have a discussion of like the way that you're living is not in line with what God calls you to. Right. Our job. But I wouldn't say that like, before you can come and, to church, you must Because we confuse that. We think our job is to convict the world of sin. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's not. That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so, but we can recognize and we know that God will start stirring that. And yeah. it's our job then to be there when that person has that conflict to be yep. like, oh my goodness, can I even be here? Well, it's even like our old neighbors who were living together, had kids together, weren't married. You would go biblically. You're kind of doing things backwards. Mm-hmm. But if we invited them to church, I wouldn't go, Oh, but before you can come on Sunday, you just got to have a quick marriage ceremony so that you guys are legally married. And then you're, you know what I mean? Sure. But then if they became believers, then you might have that conversation of like, listen guys, like you now live according to the biblical standards. Like we got to talk about this now. And I think too, I, I, I think this is what you're saying, but, um, I don't think for, for people listening, if you're not familiar with how God works in these things, um, like Cameron said, we can confuse and think that it's our job to do this. So like hypothetically, somebody comes to church stuck in a sin, they become a follower of Christ. When Andrew's saying like, then you have that conversation. I don't 
think what you're saying is that as soon as we find out that they're a believer, then the elders of the church and everyone who's a Christian comes around them is like, hey, deal with this now or leave. Mm-hmm. Because God works in a way where he convicts us of sin. So like I, I was living, most of the listeners probably know my testimony. I was living in sin, like horrendous sin for quite a while. And when I returned to the Lord, I reckon like he graciously showed me where I was wrong. And then it became a conversation that I actually went out and sought and was like, graciously, he brought someone into my life within the church that was like, Hey, in the area of like pornography and sexuality, like, how are you, how are you doing with that? Yeah. And that one question, it wasn't anything of an attack. It was, it was just what God had used in my life to then be like, well, shoot. Yeah. I, yeah. I got to deal with this. This is wrong. And yeah. so yeah. there, there was already a stirring in my heart from the Holy spirit that something was wrong. And so then God used him to, to bring that to the forefront. And yeah, there was a conversation then, but it wasn't this idea of like, Hey, come to church. You're broken, believe in Jesus. And then like just pound you into the ground with all the things you're doing no, wrong. No. The Holy spirit convicts us and moves in us. And he has set us free from sin so yeah. that then when those things do come up, we can actually deal with yeah, that. Yeah, it's that balance where I agree. The Holy Spirit's the one that convicts, but we still have a responsibility yeah. Yeah. as fellow believers. Like, because I don't want yeah. you to go to hell. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. that's an extreme. But it's the, it is that balance of like, okay, well, I'm not going to go and pound Corlin into the dirt with all of his sin. But like that person that was like, hey, where are you at with this? And then the Spirit used that anyways. Yep. And so I Samaritans, think, right? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> I think basically from what I'm getting from our conversation, I think the, the takeaway for us would be to, if people are in the church that look different than you, that, that have different sins than you to not look upon them with contempt, to just look at them and actually love them as yourself. Jesus summarized the entire law, uh, with two commandments that he's asked the question, what's the greatest commandment, right? Mm-hmm. By people that love to follow the letter of the law, mm-hmm. what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to love the Lord, your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so first of all, I love that when they ask, what is the greatest command? He gives two, he doesn't just <laughs> give one. But to think that the entire law through Jesus's interpretation, through God's direction is to love the Lord, your God, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Mm -hmm. I think in the church, if we want to do those things well, I think that's when radical change can happen in the church is when we do see a fellow uh, Christian in sin, that we would go and lovingly restore them instead of saying, hey, smarten up. It's the idea of like, hey, like, I I love you, man. Like, this is wrong. God has shown us that this is wrong. Like, mm. let's work through this. Instead of just trying to modify behaviors, we would actually help people recognize their hearts mm. are full of sin and need to be continually changed by the gospel. Yeah. There That's you good. have it. There we have it. Samaritans are A-OK. <laughs> <laughs> And for anyone curious, they are actually still a people group. Yeah, today. there's about 800 in the world. Yeah, I looked it up. They're very <laughs> oh, interesting. There's a very small group who could trace their lineage back yep. to to that. So that's pretty cool. So we have to literally love the Samaritans. literal Samaritans. <laughs> so 
This has been episode 95. Hopefully uh, that's been helpful and interesting. We do, uh, for those who have sought, uh, sent in questions, we've received them. We are going to answer them, so we're not ignoring We have them. a bit of a new format. Well, and by new format, I mean how we're taking in questions and how we're going to be tackling that. So it might be a little bit, but we will get to them. Yes, totally. So thanks for uh, listening and tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.